0: Now we come to our sermon text for today, which is found at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. <clears throat> Last week I began preaching on the book of Genesis and covered the first 5 verses of Genesis. And the first 5 verses described God's work on the first day. Uh, the beginning of that first day was the beginning of creation and Uh, That's when he created the heavens and the earth, uh, brought them out of nothing by his uh, word. But yet the earth was dark and formless and empty, uh, was covered with water. But on that first day, God created light by his word and separated day from night. And that period of darkness and that period of light together, as it says, was one day and the first day. And so now we pick up at verse 6, and we'll look at how God now began to form and to fill the earth on the second and third day. So I'll be reading in verse 6 down to verse 13. It's also on the sermon insert as well. And God said, "'Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters.' And there was evening and there was morning the third day. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let, us give, uh, let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Our God, we thank you for the word that you have given, the scripture of the Old and New Testaments, which even here describes the creation of heaven and earth. We pray that you would uh, bless this word uh, to our edification, that we might understand it and heed its implications. We pray that you would direct and teach your people, that you would build up all those who hear it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In short, on the second and third day, what did God do? He separated uh, the waters from each other, water from water, and then he separated the waters from the land, and then he cre- and thereby creating dry ground. and then he filled that dry ground with vegetation. I want to begin by speaking of the work that Jesus, that God, the Triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, did on the second and third day of creation, and then to make four points of application uh, concerning the work that he did on the second day and on the third day. Like I said, at the end of the first day, the earth uh, was still unfinished. It was still uninhabitable. Uh, You would not have been able to last there. It was uh, covered by water. It was formless and empty. Uh, But God uh, would do a work to fix that. On the second day, he separated the waters, creating an expanse that would separate them. And so there would be waters on the earth and there would be waters uh, above in the heavens, uh, what we know as the clouds. Uh, Even in older times, before they had all the science figured out, they knew water came from the sky. (laughs) There was water up there in the clouds and it would come down and as rain, there's waters on the earth and waters above. And now there is an expanse created uh, we might call the, the atmosphere, but the expanse is uh, more than that. It's, it's simply the sky, the visible heavens, what you see when you look up. Uh, it refers to the earth's atmosphere, primary sense here. But on the fourth day, we'll also see it refers to outer space because the sun, and the moon, and the stars are put in the expanse as well. So God creates the visible heavens. He puts waters up there in them. With uh, expanse between them and the earth, um, and uh, finishes that work on the second day. Uh, I mentioned that the invisible heavens, the dwellings of uh, where God manifests His glory, and the angels it's probably created on the first day in that initial act of creation but if i'm wrong i think the next best candidate is here on the second day where the visible heavens were created as well again we're not given as much details about that other than that god created that as well as part of his work in this week notice on the second day it doesn't say that it was good does that mean it was bad it doesn't say it, and it, god saw that it was good No, it doesn't mean it was bad, but it does mean his work was not yet finished. He wasn't done with the waters yet. At least that's how I take it, because on the next day, on the third day, he's going to do something else with the waters. Not only separate the waters from the waters, but he's going to separate and gather together the waters in one place so that dry land appears. And then God says that it is good, or sees that it is good. On the third day, he gathers together the waters under the heavens, so you know the ones that are not in the sky, the ones on the earth, gathers them together and makes dry land appear. From the way this is described in uh, Psalm 104, it's likely to think of the fact that the ground perhaps also raised up as the waters came down. But in any sense, uh, the waters were gathered together into distinct bodies of water now. Uh, The oceans, the lakes, the rivers, the springs... And now dry land was made to appear. It was a tremendous work. Think about, if you were there seeing this happen, the power that would have been displayed in bringing up the continents out of the ocean. They might not have been looking the same way they do today, but that was a tremendous work. Uh, certainly most of what geologists study, you know, we can talk about how uh, can be attributed to the global flood, that there was a great work uh, later in Genesis. But uh, especially in layers without fossils, we might remember that there was something dramatic that happened earlier, too, um, in the creation of dry land. But, and God saw that it was good. The waters had been put in their proper place uh, they were no longer a, a tomb for us covering everything, but now they were even for our good, for the good of living things, sustaining life, coming from the sky and the clouds, uh, being at the lakes and rivers and seas. They were made now for the good of living things that were going to be created. Also on the third day, what else did he do? He didn't only make the dry ground which still was barren and uh, waste. But on the third day, God commanded that the earth produce, that the earth sprout vegetation, uh, both plants and trees. You know, the smaller plants, as well as the great and majestic trees. These things that would produce seed and reproduce according to their kinds. They were meant to be a a permanent fixture, something to last beyond this creation day. And so it happened. Again, imagine being there and watching this. The plants and springs sprouting up over the land, coming out of nowhere, growing up quickly in that day bursting forth by the power of God's worth in variety according to their kinds uh, was a majestic work the barren earth was adorned with glory not even Solomon's uh, temple or Solomon's court was adorned like the earth was on that day and the barren earth was made fruitful uh, reproducing and God saw that it was good and God made the plants, like I said, to be fruitful, to reproduce after their kinds. Uh, he created them with diversity. That way they, they fit various purposes. The different plants work in different ways. They work with each other. They would work with things that were yet to be created. They were fit with wisdom as well as with beauty. God even made them with the ability to f- adapt further to circumstances that we find today. In, uh, the way a variety can, uh, can adapt uh, and other varieties within a kind can be produced to fill the earth and to fit all its various situations and environments man is now even able to guide that adaptation develop breeds within a kind but the theory of evolution errs when it takes what we can observe the adaptation of living things and extend that practice back process back to a single cell God created, here it says plainly, all living things, the plants here uh, in kinds, reproducing after their kinds. And so that's plainly contradictory to the theory of evolution. Rather than the creation of uh, kinds from one kind, each kind reproduces after its own kind. It's kind of a basic truth, uh, but one that's plainly stated here. Do grapes come from thorn bushes? Do figs come from thistles? No, a fig tree comes from a fig tree. And uh, grapes come from grapes. And that's the way God made the world. And so God restrained the waters. He held back what would otherwise be a destructive force and directed the waters unto the good of living things. The Psalms reflect on the fact that he held back the waters, that he was more powerful than the raging waves, that he set their limits. There was a, an old king once in England. I think his name was King Canute, unless I'm getting them confused. And he, his, his court, the people in his court kept flattering him and telling him how powerful he was. And they even got to the point where, you know, you even rule the, the waves. And the king was kind of fed up with all this flattery. And so he decided to set his throne on the seashore. And he said, watch, I will command the waves to stop from the tide coming in if I'm so powerful as you all say I am. And of course, what happened? The water came through and uh, swept over the king and he, he made his way out there. We're not able to, to do what God does, restraining back the waters from covering the whole earth. He would do that once again, again, we'll find. But by his mercy, He holds the waters back from being a force of destruction, but rather a force that sustains life. He made a space for living things and filled it. So reflecting upon these works, the second and third days, uh, I think we can draw at least four applications that God's word itself uh, draws for us. When you look at the skies above and the waters on the earth, of the dry land that you stand upon or sit upon, and the plants that grow on it, consider these four things. First of all, let them move you to awe and humility. These are marvelous and powerful works of God. As we read in Psalm 104, uh, as he ex- explains everything that he sees in the creation that God has made, O oh Lord my God, you are very great. We ought to be reverent before our God and the power of his works. And that your power and your ability pales in comparison to his. And that is the application that, that uh, is made in Job 38, uh, that God himself speaks to Job. Were you there when I set the earth's foundations? Were you there when I... Uh, gathered the waters together. This is what he says. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you? God's work not only just demonstrates how powerful he is, but it also puts in comparison to your power, which is quite small compared to him. And that's an understatement. So these works should promote awe and humility, not only as you read them in Genesis 1, but as you see them as you go out today. God made uh, these plants to propagate by his word, to be a lasting provision and adornment. This fertility of the soil comes by his generosity, and by his power. It is not filled with plant life on its own, nor does this come from any other god. It comes from the one true god alone. Israel uh, of old was tempted to trust other gods for good crops. That was what a lot of pagan worship often centered around. And it would be an immediate application for Israel as it read this text. Don't worship Baal to get good crops. Don't uh, sacrifice your children to get good crops. They and other peoples had done this because they were desperate for good crops. Without the food from the earth, people die. We sometimes forget that in our uh, abundance. But here it is made plain that the God of Israel is the creator of all. He is the only true God, he gives generously to all, and he is sufficient for his people. In the modern West, we'll probably have a slightly different temptation, <coughs> probably more tempted to either trust in man or simply to overlook your dependence on anyone, your dependence upon the blessing of God. But man did not give the earth its fertility. You can add a little fertilizer, but you're not the one that started this process. Man did not create the plants he depends on. You need the seed before you get a plant, and that seed came from another plant, and that seed came from another plant before you. Even today, all man's efforts are vain without God's work holding together the order he has made, making that seed sprout, giving it fruit. While you ought to work, you ought to take dominion, never let this bring you to pride or self-sufficiency. Again, God's work is meant to brought you, bring you to awe and humility. God gives the increase, not only spiritually, as uh, Paul and Barnabas said, uh, he, I planted, uh, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, but it works physically too, that God gives the increase to the harvest. So be pious before your maker. Be humble and reverent before the one who did what no man can do, and he did it for your good. So the first point is to be humble before your Maker, the one who made the dry land and the plants and the waters. The second point is that of uh, a witness in apologetics, both a witness to you that we might uh, have all more reason to believe in Jesus Christ, but also in our witness to the world, to use this as an apologetic uh, as Paul did in Acts 14. That's why we read Acts 14 earlier. Uh, his his uh, argument as he's talking to these pagans, first of all, to distinguish the true God from the vain things, and the true God is marked by being the creator of all things, uh, and that even though he hadn't converted them yet, God had not left them without witness. And what was the witness that he had given before the witnesses of the apostles showed up? It was the witness of rain and good things from the earth, filling your hearts with gladness. That's an apologetic argument right there, a witness to God's power and a witness to God's goodness. He did you good, and you haven't recognized it yet. The rain, the dry land, the reproducing vegetation, they are a witness to convict you and to bring you to repentance and to seek His way of salvation that this is a good God. He's been merciful to you even when you were walking astray, even when you were rebelling against Him, He kept feeding you, and He sustains your life to this day. And in fact, He filled your heart with gladness. And all that joy you receive from the things of this earth is due to His goodness. And that only makes your rebellion all the worse, and all the more reason to seek out a way of salvation, which He has now revealed to all the nations in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's how you can get from the the wine and the bread and the oil to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The waters that could overwhelm and destroy you, they serve your good. They nourish the plants he created, that your heart may be satisfied with good. As Psalm 104 says, "'God made the plants grow so that man may bring forth wine to gladden the heart of man.'" oil to make his face shine they would use oil for for lotion you know other uses too besides food and bread to strengthen man's heart and so these things are for the good of those who live on earth and as a witness to God's power and goodness think of how useful this these separations are we do not live underwater (laughs) that we have land to live on easy to take that for granted that we have waters that come from heaven but not too much that they would drown us but some that we can keep things living on the earth that the plants that grow are so useful they're useful for your food not only for taste but for nourishment Uh, that they uh, also feed the animals that now post fall and post flood that we can eat as well but even they need the plants that come from the earth that they provide clothing the cotton the linen the clothing that people have worn that we get that from the plants as well. That the plants provide medicine to heal those who are sick. Not something that Adam probably needed, but something that does us good now. That they provide shelter. We build homes with them. What's well, our houses? So even today, you still see a lot of wood being part of the homes that we live in. They use, are, are used for fuel, uh, to heat, to cook. They're used for beauty again adorned by God with glory. And so these plants are a witness to God's generosity, to his goodness, to his power. They witness to the fact that God exists. They witness to the fact that he is merciful. So like I said, to ignore and disobey this God is a grave sin. Cast yourself, all the people of the earth, upon the mercy of this God, seeking out the way of salvation he has provided in his gospel. So the second point there of application is that of a witness in apologetics. Apologetics being that defense of the faith, a defense of the gospel, a witness to God. The third point um, is that these things should move you to trust in and contentment. Uh, a, a trust with contentment in our God. Consider this. Israel would have likely made the connection between the work on these days to something that they themselves experienced. Dry land, dry ground, waters being gathered together. Does that remind you of anything maybe in Exodus? Israel would have made the connection that God, the God who gathered the waters and created the dry land on the third day is the same God who split the Red Sea, who gathered its waters together who made dry land appear for Israel, and then swept those waves upon the army of Pharaoh as they pursued them. The Creator is trustworthy, and He is able to save even today. Jesus, as well, in in Matthew 6, uh, pointed to God's work of creation as He comforted His disciples and exhorted them to turn from the love of money, to turn from anxiety about food and clothing. What did he point to? He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, His work in adorning His creation is an argument to support your faith in Him, that He will care for you, that He is able and willing. How much more than the lilies of the field? In the lilies of the field, the flowers of the garden, the trees of the forest, behold the care and provision of your heavenly Father that He has bestowed on them. How much more do you have reason that He will care for you to trust And if for the things of this life you can trust him, how much more for the things of the next which he has promised. So don't be anxious about these things. Look to how he cares for his creation and has brought it into existence and trust the Lord. So look for the care that he has uh, given all around you, not only as a witness to unbelievers, but a support for believers to trust in their Heavenly Father. The fourth point that I would uh, come to in applying these works of God is that of compassion. That in them we see God's compassion and therefore ought to imitate it in showing compassion as well. It's true, as you've been thinking perhaps about how creation serves our good, that at times this order is broken up. That the abundance he created is sometimes interrupted by drought, by storms, by floods, uh, by death. The earth today is not exactly the way he created it on the second and third day. But consider how much of his original order still stands despite man's sin. That is the amazing thing. It stands because he is merciful. As Psalm 33 says, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, or the the faithful mercies of him. Disasters, uh, natural disasters, they remind us of the curse upon our sin. But the goodness of the world reminds us of the compassion of our God, reminds us that he is generous, that he is long-suffering, Toward those who are evil. Mankind deserved to lose all of God's good gifts, yet God shows patience and kindness. Again, as Jesus said on the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking of his Father, he says he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And what was his application of this work of God? Love your enemies and give without expecting anything in return. That's what your father does. So be sons, true children of your father. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Do you see how he is richly provided even for the ungrateful and for the evil as well as for the good in this creation that he has made? Imitate your father. Be compassionate and generous. As God has compassion on all in general, the good and the bad, despite their ability to add anything to him, he doesn't need even those who are good. So you also ought to show compassion to others, especially the vulnerable, especially those in need. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who are unable to pay you back. Even as God loves the flowers and adorns them, and much more for people, Therefore, you should also appreciate and care for the birds and the flowers and how much more for those made in the image of God. So on that note, let us give thanks to God for the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, Let us give thanks to God for the prohibition of abortion in Missouri and a number of other states. Give thanks for the ability now in other states to pass laws protecting the unborn. To Going forward, continue to show compassion and uh, to value the life of the vulnerable, such as the unborn. Uh, Contribute in the work of supporting mothers in this valuable work. And give the world a good example by the way you treat your children and the way you treat your grandchildren. As God is a good and generous Heavenly Father, so show similar care and compassion towards your children. So see the compassion of God, your Heavenly Father, in the world that is around you, and imitate His ways in showing compassion and generosity as well. So when you look at the skies above and the waters on the earth and the dry land and the plants that grow on it, consider how these creations should move you to awe and humility before your Maker. Consider how they are witnesses to all the world of God's power and goodness, calling all all to repent and seek him. Consider how they should move you as his child to treat him, to trust him uh, with contentment. And consider how they should move you to imitate his generosity and compassion. He is God and you are not. Whenever you're in doubt, look around and that'll help you remember that he is God. You didn't make that he did. To him be the glory and dominion now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your uh, amazing and uh, marvelous works that surround us every day. The clouds, the rain, the waters on the earth, the vegetation, the plants, the trees, which are uh, glorious in their diversity and the wisdom in which you have made them and the good that we derive from them every day. We pray, Father, that you would work in us a spirit of gratitude and trust in you, that we would be humble before you and rejoice in your compassion. We pray that you would help us to proclaim your goodness to others, uh, to to call people to their attention, the witness that all creation bears to you, and work in our hearts a compassion that is like yours, that we might be children that imitate you in the compassion that you show towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.